Blog Talk Radio. This land is mine. God gave this land to me. This brave and ancient land to me. start with a couple of items here in the uh, the news uh, the uh, had this uh, article I, I'm just going to read one uh, sentence from it the last sentence it it reads as follows climate related exacerbation of air Ooh. pollution and of heat exposure significantly increases the risk to maternal fetal and infant health According to a 2020 JAMA network review that asserted more than 32 million U.S. births. Desperate is as desperate does. These clowns are so fixated on trying to scare everyone into giving up their money and their freedom and their quality of life for uh, um, this mythical notion of man-made climate change, that they will say anything. The fact of the matter is, climate change is not exacerbating air pollution. As a matter of fact, air pollution's on the decrease. When I used to live in Southern California, you couldn't Mm -hmm. see your hand in front of your face. But, you know, they eliminated lead from gasoline. They put in catalytic converters in cars. They... They uh, put in mandates that uh, required cars to be more efficient, even on the East Coast with, uh, with acid rain. They've essentially shut down the, uh, the biggest polluters. We don't make anything anymore, so there's no smokestack society. Air pollution's on the decline. And heat, it's really not any hotter than it previously was. Uh, you know, there's... We're not having pregnant mothers go out in the um, 
sun in Palm Springs, California when it's 125 degrees? This is just pathetic. If you can't make a case using evidence and reason, you don't have a case. I was reading an article up um, this week about um, Kyle Rittenhouse. Uh, I I spoke, I think, a week ago on on Kyle Rittenhouse. I, I think that the idea of Showing up as a, uh, a vigilante, even if you're uh, there to allegedly help people and protect property, uh, in the midst of these Black Lives Matter riots, uh, is uh, is moronic, um, and largely because uh, they are heavily infected with uh, Marxists, uh, and the you've got a combination of black gangs that are looting indiscriminately now because there's no consequence to uh, to looting and you've got uh, Marxists that um, are absolutely convinced that the uh, the way that they can impose the system that has crippled every country that Marxism has ever been established in is to uh, steal from the rich so to go out there is insane but if you looked at who got shot and why they got shot it was clearly self-defense, and he is a white guy that shot other white guys. And yet, the socialists of Arizona State, uh, where he was enrolled in nursing school, held a rally that said, well, the biggest sign is death to America, and they don't want the racist killer to be able to attend the school. You can't have an opinion that's different than the most liberal libertards in the country anymore. And to think that these people are getting an education from a school that is paid for by taxpayer dollars, Arizona State University, and they're holding signs saying death to America, and they're calling a man who doesn't have a racist bone in his body, who is not a killer, who was exonerated, based on the evidence, a racist killer. It just saddens me as to how overtly stupid uh, we have become universally, and particularly those under 35 years old. One of the consequences today is that retail stores are uh, are being robbed blind. And uh, the uh, CEO of Best Buy uh, came out about a week ago and said, we, we really at Wits we don't want to do it. We can't keep stores open, particularly in, in states like California where there's no consequence to thievery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not just because of the cost of the thievery and the destruction that they do. It's because of the safety of our employees. We can't put our employees at risk because it's no longer an isolated shoplifter, but gangs of thugs. that are coming into these stores. Yeah. And what's really amazing is now that California is imposing uh, a restriction that says that all businesses that have any degree of public uh, uh, participation, if you're a restaurant, if you're a gym, if you're a, uh, a tattoo parlor, if you're a hairstylist, a barber, you have to have somebody at your door now, have another employee 
you know, after they've shut you down all this time, now you've got to have another employee at your door that is carding everyone that wants to come in. And your best customers, if they can't prove they've been vaccinated, you have to send them away. You know, if the state wants to impose something like that, then they need to come up with the money to post people outside of stores. Not the business's responsibility. I think you're stupid if you're not vaccinated. I'm just sorry. I I know there's people, they're part of the covenant, not very many, but some, who um, who were opposed to the vaccines. I, I think vaccines are the greatest thing that man has probably ever done in terms of uh, of saving lives. And that uh, the invention of this COVID vaccine and the time that they had to develop it is a scientific marvel. And it is exceedingly effective. And the downside risks are infinitesimally small. But nonetheless, this notion that businesses are required to apply play police at their doors when and that that the government is going to impose fines on them when they can't even keep from ransacking their stores there's something desperately wrong with america speaking of wrong with america Mm -hmm. uh camilla harris the absolutely horribly unqualified marxist that uh, that sleepy Joe Biden and one of his comatose moments decided he would have for his uh, vice president because in, Vi- in Joe Biden's world, uh, good is defined by having diversity. Good is not defined as being qualified. Good is not defined as having accomplished something. Good is not defined as being able to accomplish something. Good is defined as, oh, my cabinet has uh, more blacks than the percentage in the society. We have transvestites and we have homosexuals, and we're comprised of, of multiculturalism. And that's the reason why she was picked, because she has nothing going for her. If you listen to whatever speeches, as bad as Joe Biden is, who stumbles over his words, she's worse. She is completely unqualified to be a senator and wouldn't be a senator if it wasn't for the fact that it's all backroom politics in California. Whoever the Democrats nominate in backroom politics prevails. But even in the administration, as liberal as it is, even with CNN, which is the communist news network, they've got articles that say, worn out by what they see as entrenched dysfunction and the lack of focus. Key West Wing aides of the Biden administration have longly thrown up their uh, their hands at President, Vice President Kamala Harris and her staff, deciding there simply isn't time or reason to even deal with them. Total exasperation over this woman, who is Vice President for a president that is very near 80 years old that obviously has a mental disorder. You know, every time I see him, I think we're watching Weekend at Birdies. <laughs> Speaking of Weekend at Birdies and, you know, holding up the, uh, the hand, there's a, a Catholic University of America 
um, now has featured in its public buildings. A picture of a black Madonna. No, you were wrong if you think Miriam was, uh, was Jewish. Nope, nope, nope. She's black. She, of course, has a long Roman nose, too. And this uh, black uh, uh, Madonna is holding the body of a, of a dead George Floyd in the pose that uh, mimics, uh, uh, I don't know if it was Michelangelo's, but I think it was Michelangelo's, one of his. And the piano. And the, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but the, uh, the, Jesus now a black man, and he's George Floyd, who was a drug addict, a woman abuser. I mean, a man that went to prison for robbing and, and beating a pregnant woman. A man that passed counterfeit bills. A man that was spent his whole life trying to rob people so he could pay for his cocaine addiction who was uh, jacked up on metamphetamines and fentanyl at the time of his arrest. And that's their Jesus. When I say that Black Lives Matter is not only a conspiracy, but it's damn near a religion. That's proof. Speaking of the, uh, the lack of, uh, of credibility on the left, they want to uh, condemn uh, Kyle uh, Rittenhouse. You know, I'm no fan of, but clearly uh, the the man shot in self-defense and was attacked by thugs, for the most part, and communists. So, a Christmas parade, the uh, the crowd is white, and a black man who has a long record of, of abuse, sexual abuse even, He's driving the, uh, the car out on parole, and he kills six white people. And no, we don't have any claim of racism. In fact, when you read an article, rather than identifying the killer, which they wanted to paint Kyle Rosenhaus as a white supremacist and racist, this black man, no, they don't even mention him. It was They want to identify the car that he drove, as if it was the SUV. The color of the SUV was important, not the color of the perpetrator. Thank you, Gordon. Welcome to the lunacy that has become America. All right, fellas, what I want to do here is that we were in the third of uh, five chapters on Kapoor. And you might say, oh, my God, how much time are you going to talk about Kampuram? I mean, you'll be talking about Kampuram come Kampuram next year. <laughs> Maybe. That's what it takes. Maybe. That's what it takes. <laughs> Why not? So uh, as I, I said when we began this, the most important day on our calendar from our perspective is matzah. Mm-hmm. And Chag Matzah, that in, includes Pesach Matzah Bukotam, is central to our survival. Yahweh paid the price um, through Yosha, his soul being in Yosha, providing the Passover lamb, his soul going to Sheol to unleaven us of religious and political corruption, and then us being adopted into his family. But those are the three most important days, that is Chag Matzah. Uh, it is something that isn't celebrated 
by even one in a million people worldwide. Uh, Jews are the worst offenders. They no longer celebrate matzah at all. Matzah is simply an ingredient in what I call a Keynesian Passover. Their Passover has a Zoroa bone thrown on it, but has every manner of, of Cain's offering and none of uh, Abel's. And so Jews can't even get it right. I don't even know what Bukurim is. And as I say, they've rendered matzah an ingredient as part of Passover, which they celebrate historically as opposed to it being the doorway to life. All that true, it's not the most important day on Yahweh's calendar, not by a long shot. I'm going to tell you, from Yahweh's perspective, Pesach and matzah were not a lot of fun. (laughs) No. But what is going to be a lot of fun is Kippurim. Kippurim is the speaks of the return of Yahweh's wayward children. It is the day he finally gets to reconcile his relationship with Yisrael and Yahudah and knows that from this point on, that relationship is steadfast and dependable forevermore. So there is nothing anywhere close to Kippurim from Yahweh's perspective. So if we spend a lot of time on it, so be it. So be it. It's important to Yahweh. And here's what's important to us. Yahweh has chosen throughout his entire interaction with humankind that once he created the spiritual realm and the material realm and then conceived the first man in his image, that from that point on, there's very little of anything he has done by himself. That's just not the way he wants to operate. He chooses to work through people. And when you look at the character of the people he chooses to work for, with rare exceptions, they're not all that exemplary. But he finds us entertaining. He enjoys working with us. Uh, that lone inter- uh, exception, in my view, is not the person whom um, I have touted so much in the past, which is Dode. Because Dode is, is while stunningly passionate and brilliant and courageous and articulate, um, Dode had his moments. The, the guy who is as articulate, maybe even more so, who's as brilliant and perhaps more so, who is as courageous and perhaps more so, who's got a stellar character, is Moshe. And so with exception of Moshe, we humans don't have a whole lot to offer. And yet God chooses to work through us. And the reason I bring that up in conjunction with Yom Kippurim yeah. is that he has left it to us to provide the announcement that will awaken his wayward children and cause them for the first time in 2,500 years to recognize him by name, change their direction and attitude, and come home. <laughs> 
Wow. He has left that responsibility up to us. Now, we're not doing it alone. I mean, God's not crazy. He, he is empowering us. No. He's working with us. He, he is steadfast and dependable and supportive, emboldening, providing insights. He, he assures, I mean, there's so few of us, that he absolutely assures our success. I'm translating right now uh, the first, the opening lines of uh, the book of Yosha, uh, Joshua. And God is just matter of fact. You work with me, I will assure that you never fail. That no one will ever be able to stand up against you. Ever. Under any circumstances. And so, I, I, God chooses people, and then once he's riding that horse, he doesn't get off. <laughs> if, if you're looking for a vacation, he's not the right guy to work for. <laughs> you know, he, uh, he's, he sticks with, uh, find somebody that's willing to say yes. He says, okay, you're my guy. Hard, hard. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, and uh, almost nothing you can do is going to change that. This is a lifetime never, contract. It is a lifetime contract. It's the best job in the universe, mind you. And I don't think anybody who's ever worked with them has a complaint. I certainly don't. But um, you you should know what you're getting into. We're fickle. Great cringes. Yeah. Hmm. And so we are responsible for making Kaporum wonderful. And if we don't do our job... Kaporim is going to disappoint Yahweh. Now, hmm. Yahweh is, um, I, I love to use the word cheating, and I, I mean it tongue-in-cheek, Yahweh never cheats, but he is um, the deck is stacked. Yeah, options. The deck yeah. is stacked. Okay? Yeah. You know, we're not mm-hmm. playing here uh, poker and, uh, and, uh, and drawing cards at random. There's two things that, uh, that cause the work that we're going to be doing on behalf of having a robust Kaporum celebration where, where if it's not many, it's wonderful Yehudim who are reconciled with Yahweh. And it could be a thousand wonderful people or a million okay people, whichever way God wants it. But... The two things that he's doing is that he has got the full capacity of his spiritual empowerment, enlightenment, um, encouragement, working on behalf of, uh, of his witnesses. And the second thing is, he has finally said that, that okay, it's been a long time, and I blinded my people because it wasn't safe for them to be able to, um, to perceive the Torah and prophets. I had to, uh, to conceal my presence from them. And some might say, well, that's not really fair. Well, it's totally fair. If God did not conceal his presence from them, and if the Talmud and the Zohar and the rabbis spoke of Yahweh, twisted Yahweh's testimony such that 
our rebuttal to them uh, was also in Yahweh's name. Well, the confusion would be enormous. Yeah. And and so it was important that that because they were blinded, that the rabbinical Talmud and Zohar are gobbledygook. And they're they're laughably stupid. The religion is unbelievably um, worthless. And that's because as smart as the people are, when it comes to the things of God, they're absolutely oblivious. And so we can tell Yahweh's story as he has told it, and it's night and day what, what the rabbis have said. So the choice is stark and obvious. And God said, I'm going to resolve that. So there's a day coming when a significant number of the remnant of Israel are going to have eyes to see and ears to hear. And so we are going to be successful because he's assuring it. Now, I'm sharing all that because I'm going to go back to the previous chapter, and I want to share with you the last few statements of the previous chapter because I don't think we're doing justice to what it is that Yahweh was putting up in the air. That scroll that Zachariah explains that is in the fifth chapter. Well, if you start in the fifth chapter without recognizing what he said in the fourth, recognizing there was no fourth and fifth chapter, one thought flowed into the other, we have a tendency to miss how Yahweh was using us. This is Zechariah 4.12. Now, so this is the 12th statement about a singular thing. Zechariah awakened in the middle of the night. He's taken, he sees two olive trees on either side of a menorah. And the messenger of Yahweh is saying, what do you see? Zach? And Zach's not able to figure it out. In fact, Zach never gets it. He simply reports what he saw. And I don't think that prior to our most recent review of this, I don't think anybody's ever gotten it. But you get to the 12th statement. It says, it was then that I interjected. This is Zach uh, speaking, Zachariah. It was then that I interjected. And I asked of him, he's speaking to the Malak of Yahweh, who are these two olive trees? on the right and on the left of the menorah. Recognize what an olive tree represents. Recognize what the menorah represents. And also appreciate there are two of them. (coughs) The menorah is Yahweh's symbol. In fact, I wrote here in the recent chapter just how horrible it was for rabbis in particular, to promote the Star of David as not only the national symbol of Israel on their flag, but also the symbol of Judaism, the religion, and of the ethnicity, Jews as a people. And what's so disgusting about that is that six-pointed star is a pagan symbol. The six 
pointed star wasn't even associated or assimilated into Judaism until it was written about in the Zohar, what, the 12th, 13th century. And even then, it's Jewish mysticism. And then the first time we see it used in any significant way, it is usurped by the Roman Catholic Church so that they can put a badge on Jews so that they can degrade them and constrain them and treat them like dung. Then the Nazis see what the Roman Catholic Church did by putting this star on them and naming them Jews. And so the Nazis incorporated it. And so now Jews are taking this symbol of them being degraded and say, oh, we'll wear that. What in the hell is wrong with them? Instead of the one symbol that Yahweh uses consistently to say this symbol represents my message to you, a menorah. Even with their God-forsaken menorah, they've got nine candles and not seven on the rabbinical menorah. And Mm -hmm. the thing that it celebrates is repulsive. It was a civil war between Jews. And in essence, you had some religious zealots that didn't like the idea of Yahweh establishing his liaisons to help the people understand the Torah and capitalize on the Mikra through the Kohen priests and the Loewe uniters. And so now they they kind of like uh, the communists. No, nope, you're, you're, you're not going to be born into it. We're going to, we're brighter, we're better. And therefore, we're going to take control. That's the whole Maccabean revolt. That's what Hanukkah separates, celebrates with their nine menorah, nine candle menorah. Yahweh's seven candle menorah speaks of God in the center of our lives. It speaks of his Seven Moed Mikre, Pesach, Matzah, and Bukurim on the first three candles. Teruah, Kapurim, and Sukkah on the last three. With the candle in the middle, the one where the set-apart spirit makes it possible to do what we're doing here today. Enlightening us, empowering us, enriching the covenant's children. It represents the seven primary colors of the rainbow. And light. It represents Yahweh's plan of six plus one equals seven. We have 6,000 years from the time that Adam and Chawa were booted from the garden to the time we will return and celebrate a 1,000 years of Shabbat with Yahweh. It represents the Shabbat. That is the symbol of Yahweh. It is a light as Yahweh's light. It is man with God. Six plus one equals God's idea of the perfect equation. That's the menorah, the light of Yahweh, Yahweh's plan, Yahweh's timeline, Yahweh's invitations to, to meet. Even as the sign of the covenant, just as there are seven colors in the rainbow, there are seven lights on the menorah. And on either side, what you have is an olive tree. On either side, two olive trees. What do olives represent? The longest lived tree in Israel. Mm-hmm. 
the most deeply rooted tree in Israel. The tree that produces the olive, which was the ultimate source of light, pure light in the ancient world. (coughs) The olive used for anointing. The olive used for healing. The olive which was tremendously nourishing. The olive which has to be crushed before it is useful. That's the tree on either side. It's the tree from which, too, a sucker grows. Because the sucker from an olive is amazingly productive. You can cut an olive tree down, have nothing but the stump, and you can have a chode or a sucker right up from the rootstock, just as Yahweh foretold. Bring that tree right back to life so that it is fruitful once again. Two of them, two witnesses of everything that matters from Yahweh's perspective, one on either side. And Zachariah knows one of the two. Malachi revealed it. I mean, these guys lived very similar times. One of the two is a very interesting choice. He's Eliyah. And Eliyah is such a perfect choice because Eliyah wasn't much of a prophet. Eliyah was a spectacular debater. Maybe the best ever. Mm -hmm. Entertaining, in your face. Did a degree of back talking. Oh, satire, sarcasm, fighting. He knew exactly what to say and how to say it. He could... The odds could have been and were 850 to 1, and he had him wrapped around his little finger. Dude was great when it came to debate. What are the witnesses in the last days going to do? They're not predicting the future. The future is already known. They're debating all the numbskulls out there, the libertards, the Christians, the Muslims, the progressives. That's who they're debating. Rabbinic Judaism. It's a debate. Zachariah is the best there ever was. And so he's one of the two. But he says there's two of them. And so this, uh, this reads, It was then that I interjected and I asked of him, Who are the two olive trees on the right of the menorah and on the left side of it? And then I made a second request. Now, the Malak's not answering because Zachariah's well-read. He knows the Torah. He's brilliant. And he expected him to figure it out. So he said, I made a second request. And he asked of him, who are these two twigs? Speaking of smaller stems off the main branch of the olive trees which are within reach of the two golden pipes pouring forth from out of them that which is golden light, brilliant, shimmering valuable desirable Zachariah wrote after Yashiach 
Yashaya explained who that twig was that was growing out of the main branch of the olive tree, devoted an entire chapter to it, to that individual, and then spoke of that individual throughout the last ten chapters of the book. And so he replied to me by asking, Boy, I tell you what, when the answer to a question is a question, <laughs> you know that somebody wants you to think, Oh, and that you should, yeah. think, you think, ought think. to know the answer. If somebody answers a question with a question, then they know that you ought to know. And so he replied to me by asking, even now, do you not know Yada and realize who these are? And again, I answered, no, sir. So he said, They are the two sons, the offspring, the beneficiaries of the olive tree, and thus the anointed ones, those that Yahweh has called and prepared for this purpose, who stand present before Yahweh on behalf of everyone on earth. Two witnesses. So, that being the case... How does the next line read? What does the next line in Zachariah say? Is it not related to what we just read? Then I turned and I lifted up my eyes and I saw right there a flying scroll. Now, what do you think the odds are that that scroll is somehow related to those two witnesses? Yeah, about 99.999999 percent. I laid a house on it. Yeah, and, and he said, and he said to me, "What do you see?" I answered, "I see a flying scroll." Now, rather than tell us what's on the dadgone scroll, thank you, Zachariah. He said, uh, "It's uh, you know about uh, uh, 30 feet uh, by uh, it's used 20 cubits, which is about 30 feet." And its width is 10 cubits, or about 15 feet. Thank you very much for the dimensions. <laughs> okay. Nonetheless, that's what he said. 30 feet by 15 feet. Twice as long as it is tall. And he said to me, this is the consequence of breaking the binding agreement. This is the curse of Allah and of the sanctions for having invoked this recompense by God, which extends over the face of the entire earth. This is because everyone who takes away from this or deceives regarding it will be banished and forced to endure eternity elsewhere while everyone who swears an oath of allegiance will also be swept away and banished. I will produce it, and I will extend it, prophetically declares Yahweh. Well, I recall when we were reading about the knacker, when we were reading about the choder, 
where Yahweh specifically said he's going to lift up a Nesh sign. Nesh, better, yeah. In the last days to call his people home. God's saying, I'm going to produce this. I'm going to send it. I'm going to extend it. I'm going to lift this up. Could be the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. And he says the reason for this is everyone on earth is being deceptive. That they all have broken the binding agreement, which is the covenant. And particularly, there's the curse of Allah. So, I would ask you, Zachariah is has got to be the most entertain. Not Zachariah, um, Elia has got to be the most entertaining Elia. guy. Yeah, Elia mm-hmm. is the most entertaining guy there is. How much do you think that Elia knows about Islam and Allah? None. Okay. How much way, way after. Yeah, how much do you think he knows about uh, breaking the uh, the covenant as it relates to a new covenant in Christianity? I don't think he, yeah, I don't think he has an expertise on those things. Do you think he has an expertise on progressive Marxism, libertarianism? What do you think he knows about conspiracy? It's out of his bailiwick. Yahweh's got to lift something up for people to read because of those things. Now, here's the rub, and, and uh, I, I'm positive everyone's not going to agree with me. It's a, they, it happened to be the, I think it was the sixth or seventh chapter of volume two of, uh, of ITG, which is um, now three books removed from this one. And uh, the chapter was being edited. It hasn't been posted yet. And, and it was talking about Yahweh... Um, enabling someone, uh, and Moshe is the speaker, but he's saying that in the, in the, the whole presentation is about the last days. So Moshe is being a prophet. He's talking about what's going to occur in the last days. And he says, during the last days, you have no excuse. The, the answers are going to be right there for you. And one of the comments that he makes, he says that, it's not even going to be Eber. Well, Eber happens to be Hebrew, yeah. the Hebrew word for Hebrew. Uh-huh. And so if you're going to reach the world today, especially Jews, what language do you have to communicate in? English. 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 The most popular language in the world today, and is the language spoken by more Jews than any other. And so if you're going to communicate to a large group of people, uh, the language of communication needs to be English. And so you have to be able to render God's communication as he conveyed it in Hebrew in English. So that is likely the language on that sign that he's lifting up on that scroll. Otherwise, why lift it up? If you were to lift up that scroll in Paleo-Hebrew, there isn't, well, maybe Kirk, you could read it. <laughs> one uh, word is a shot. Ten uh, years. You know, what good is it for us to read it when we've lived it? Who else can read it? Uh, one of the things that is, is, would fool a lot of people is that the uh, the ultra orthodox Jews, the uh, Hasidic, you know what language mm-hmm. they uh, they write and speak in? 
In Yiddish? It, it isn't Hebrew. It isn't Hebrew. It's Yiddish. Yep. Yeah, it's Yiddish. Guess, and the, yeah. the Babylonian Talmud is, of course, written in Aramaic. Makes sense, yeah. So, uh, Hebrew is not something particularly that Hebrew because, you know, they've there's a modern Hebrew script that people can read that's very prevalent in, uh, in Israel now, but there's, you know, probably only five or six million people worldwide out of um, seven billion, eight billion that can read it. So it's likely to be in English for it to have the effect that Yahweh wants it to have. Well, like you said, Zachariah didn't tell us what it said because he couldn't read it. He couldn't read it. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Just, yeah. just as Good there point. were five people alive that could read what he was writing today, <laughs> he couldn't read it. That's why he told us what the sign. Because I'm going to yeah, tell you, scroll. <laughs> that was a very scroll. smart, well-read man. If he could have read it, he would have told us exactly what was on it. This goes on to say, say to him, thus says Yahweh of the heavenly helpers communicating, behold, the individual who is known as Shamak, the branch, will branch out and grow in this place. And he will build at that moment in time the residence and temple of Yahweh. Okay, you haven't been with us the last uh, few uh, weeks, uh, JB. I'm delighted you're here uh, now. If I were to tell you that a fella who is known as Shamak, the branch, is going to be there at that time to build the temple and residence of Yahweh, who would you say that individual is? Dode. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Good answer. That, that, that's your final answer? Of course it's Dode. It's obvious that it's Dode. And what's so marvelous about that is who is the person who most wanted to build a home for Yahweh? Dode. Dode. And we learned that Dode was precluded from doing it for one reason. What was the reason? Man of war. Nope. And blood on his hands. Close. He had blood on his hands. What job does Dode have to do when Yahweh returns to prepare the people for Yom Kippurim so that Yom Kippurim is in compliance with the Torah? He's got to have blood on his hands. He needs to mm-hmm. anoint the Kippurim, the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And so Dode is perfectly prepared for this. He's going to come and he's going to build Yahweh's house. Now, I'm going to tell you, for all of us as part of the Yada Yahweh covenant family, this is big time. Because what was the verse that brought us here in the first place? If it wasn't for this one prophetic statement, not a single word of a single book would have been written, and we would not know Yahweh or one another. Mm-hmm. It was in 2 Samuel 7, was it not? In yeah. 2 mm-hmm. Samuel 7, which is where we confronted Asher for the first time, 2 yeah. Samuel 7 associated speaks of what? With. what does it speak of? Blood being associated. It speaks of building a house. 
And Dode's saying, I want to build a house oh, yeah. for Yahweh. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. That's what I want to do. And Yahweh takes him to task and said, did I ever ask you to build me a house? And then the ends, uh, thing ends so majestically with Yahweh said, he's my son. I am his father. He's going to come back and rule as king. He has the seat of honor. Yeah, the first thing he's going to allow Dode to do is what Dode dreamt of doing, what Dode wanted to do most of all. So cool of Yahweh to allow this to happen. It goes on to say, he will build the royal residence of Yahweh while his authority and continence are lifted up and upheld. You have a daughter, um, JB. If uh, your daughter is in school and uh, someone sullies her reputation, what are you going to do? Fix it. You're a defender, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's what parents do. They defend their children when their children's reputation is uh, unfairly uh, tattered. If your daughter did something that deserved th- that, then you'd have a different chat. You'd have a chat with your daughter and said, you know, you, you ought not do this. Use this as a learning experience. And if your yeah, daughter one of those today, actually. <laughs> okay. And if your daughter was uh, wrongly accused, you're going to go and uh, defend her. Uh, yep. Same thing with, with Yahweh. Dode has been wrongly accused. Every promise that Yahweh made to Dode about being the Messiah, about being the returning king of kings, uh, uh, about being the son of God, was stolen from him and, uh, and given to the imaginary, fictitious character known as the Christian Jesus to create credibility for a religion that has none otherwise. And so Yahweh says, ah, no, I'm going to restore his credibility, his authority. It's going to be upheld. Yahweh, as a good father, is going to do what good fathers do. Then he says, then he will sit and remain upon his throne, and he will govern with symbolic narratives. Mashal. Who wrote the Mashal? Dode. Dode. How is Dode going to govern? Consistent with those Mashal, which are all written very similarly. They're written as a son commenting on his heavenly father and spiritual mother and the role the heavenly father and spiritual mother play in the son's life. That's how he's going to govern. Perfectly suited for it. He wrote all of those. Mashal, and he's being credited with them here. For all of those who are confused and think that they were written by Solomon, think again. Yahweh says they were written by Doug. And he's going to govern in a manner consistent with them. Additionally, he will be dressed as a priest upon his seat of honor. So here he is. He's on the throne dressed as a priest. Why would a king be on his, the throne that Yahweh is providing over the entire earth, why would he be dressed as a priest? We're talking about the entire book now of Zacharias about Kippurim. Why would he be dressed as a priest? He has to do something. Who is it that anoints the Kippurim, the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant to reconcile the relationship between Yahweh and Yisrael, 
Is it Benjamin? High priest. <laughs> the high priest. Why is Doe dressed as a priest? Because he is going to perform that role. That is why in Zachariah 3, he goes into great detail on the high priest being uh, disgusting and, uh, and ill-prepared and unqualified to perform that role. And they're going to dress him up and clean him up so that he can perform it. The result of dressing him up and cleaning him up is dode. That's the reason it was presented, because that is an essential element of Kaporum. And now we're being told that it is, in fact, Dode who's going to be doing it. He will be dressed as a priest upon his seat of honor, upon his throne. Advice and counsel, Etza. Guidance and instruction on the proper course of action. On shalom, peace, prosperity, satisfaction, contentment, reconciliation, shall exist to encourage understanding by making the connections between both of these responsibilities, between the responsibility of the throne and of the priest. It's marvelous that uh, how clear God's instructions are and how we can make these connections to figure it out. Now, this is where we left off uh, last week. So now here we are. We've been doing this now for an hour tonight almost. And we we've made it all the way back Almost to where there. we Yeah, we made it all the way back to where we ended the program last week. Okay. At this pace we will finish Kapuram by the time that Yahweh returns. Oh, Kapuram. Maybe. Yes. <laughs> Advice and counsel, Etza again, on peace and prosperity, satisfaction and contentment, the blessings of reconciliation and freedom will exist to encourage understanding while making the connections between these responsibilities, then God says, and the crown has always been and will continue to exist for the purpose of chelem, which means to be restored, through Tobiah, Yahweh's goodness, by Yada Yahweh. In order to, hey, I know that one. I know that. I didn't even have to. I didn't even have to translate that one. <laughs> but it's right there. Wa la yada yawa. I don't think we need to translate that one. In order to Chen receive mercy, as a yats safafan, child who treasures Yahweh, valuing what he has hidden for us to discover. Ben Safanya, especially on his way to memorialize the inheritance rite and to communicate the symbolism, La Zacharon, associated with the royal residence of Yahweh. So the crown has been and will continually exist for the purpose of being restored through Yah's goodness by Yada Yahweh, in order to receive mercy as a child who treasures Yahweh, especially 
as a way to memorialize the inheritance rite and communicate the symbolism associated with the royal residence and temple of Yahweh. Zechariah 6.14. So at this point, do you think there may be the chance that Zechariah knows the answer to that question? That he now knows what's on that scroll? Yada Yahweh? And the role Yada Yahweh plays in exposing Yah's goodness so that he can restore his people and his relationship with them? So he can reveal the treasures of Yahweh that have been hidden, waiting to be discovered, and as a way to convey the fact that through the covenant, particularly Israel, has an inheritance right. And this is all directly associated with the home of Yahweh. So at this point, I think Zachariah was clearly aware now of the implications of what he had revealed. He would have drawn the same connections and would have, I think, smiled in appreciation of being afforded the opportunity to share this with us 2,500 years in advance of its happening. That's my take. Mm-hmm. And and by the way, I, I'm convinced that and we, we get this feeling both from Zachariah, uh, I think we get a little bit of it from um, Chabauk, we definitely get it in spades over and over again from Yashaya, Isaiah. Yeah, Yashaya, yeah. That if Yahweh's prophets get frustrated that the overwhelming preponderance of people don't respond, and in some cases in Yashaya's, no one responds, that no, I think no. Yahweh takes them to the future and says, it isn't always going to be that way. There's a time when what you have written here is going to finally resonate with Israel and it's going to make a tremendous difference in their lives. So be content that what we're doing is important. It's just that it's not taking flower today, but will bud um, before my return. So I think that's what occurred here with Zechariah. I think he was shown... This is how his words would finally be interpreted and conveyed. So those who are currently alienated and distant shall come in return. And they will help build the royal residence and temple of Yahweh. And then you will know that indeed Yahweh of the spiritual messengers has sent me. Well, it's not exactly where we are. So those who are mm-hmm. currently alienated and distant, that would be Israel. Mm-hmm. They're going to return. As a result of this scroll, as a result of those two witnesses, as a result of the work Dode has done and will continue to do, they're going to return. Collectively, we are going to work to build the royal residence of Yahweh. 
I think that would be a cool job. And mm-hmm. look at Yahweh. Yahweh doesn't like to do things alone. He likes to do it with people. Gosh, I'd love to build. I mean, uh, I, I, I know me. I'm going to have to be constrained. I'd say, we need a window over there. The view's great. <laughs> <laughs> Walk around yeah. with you. Yeah, I may not see it that way. <laughs> so, I don't know how that's going to work out, but nonetheless, he might say, "If you want a home with a window, uh, go down the street someplace, kid." Yeah. Go to your room. Yeah, go 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 build a window in your own daggone room. The view of fine. I'm seeing exactly what I want to see. Uh, but then you will know, you will yada, that indeed, Yahweh has sent me. There's nothing quite like a fulfilled prophecy to affirm a prophet's credentials, is there? But mm-hmm. what's, yeah, what's really special about this one is that the covenant's children get to work right alongside the Son of God, building our Heavenly Father's home. Because we're going to share it. It's our home, too. Yeah. So, Dode's dream, the very craving and desire that Dode had that brought us all together in the first place is now becoming a reality. The moment shared between father and son is going to be enjoyed by the whole family. The religious and political will not have considered what we have just read, and they will not have listened to God. So speaking of those who have perished estranged from the covenant, the Creator reveals. But uh, they resisted and refused to listen. They gave the gift a defiant and obstinate shoulder. Their ears became heavy, and they would not listen. They caused their hearts to be hard as diamonds, such that they were kept from listening to the Torah teaching and guidance, or the words which, for the benefit of the relationship, Yahweh, of the heavenly messengers, sent by his spirit through the hand of the former prophets. Therefore, Great animosity and frustration came to exist from Yahweh of the spiritual implements. It came to be that when I called out, offering an invitation, they would not listen. Therefore, when they called out, I did not listen, says Yahweh of the spiritual messengers. Mm -hmm. Yeah... Well, I tell you what, I, I, um, last week I uh, translated uh, the song that uh, Yahweh asked Mosey to write. And I thought it was the saddest thing I'd ever read. Uh, I mean, you just can't read it without tearing up. Uh, even my wife, Leah, she, she, uh, she says, I, I don't know how to continue to read these chapters because they um, uh, it's a roller coaster of emotions uh, my people 
have been so wrong for so long. And uh, that's essentially what this says. Uh, there will be those of us who will accept Yahweh, who will be there with Dode celebrating eternity, building the covenant home, but that's not the majority. The majority have continued to resist. They refuse to listen. If you were to tell a Jew, whether it's a secular Jew, most of which are atheist, or a uh, religious Jew, most of the religious Jews are, are Hasidic, that I'm speaking on behalf of Yahweh. How many people do you think are going to listen? <laughs> Zero. No. Try, try it. Yeah. Israelites have written Yahweh out of their lives. They've resisted. They've refused to listen. Yahweh gave them the greatest of all gifts. What was that gift, do you think, is the greatest gift that Yahweh gave Israel? The Torah? He called him his the children. The Torah. Yeah, the Torah. Oh, of course, the Torah. Yeah, yeah the Torah. Right. Yeah. And yet they uh, turned a defiant and obstinate shoulder. Their ears became heavy. They would not listen. They caused their hearts to be hard as diamonds, such that they were kept from listening to the Torah teaching guidance or the words which, for the benefit of the relationship, Yahweh sent his spirit through the hands of the former prophets. Therefore, Yahweh has a serious case of righteous indignation. For the past 20 years, usually six or seven days a week, yeah, typically 10 to 12 hours a day. I've listened to Yahweh. And all of that time, other than to ask a question or seek uh, clarification, I have not spoken to him. Our relationship works best when he teaches and I listen. I we communicate in the sense that um, you translate something he said, you deduce insights from it, it resonates with you, and you share it. Trust me, that's better than any conversation you've ever had with another person. But, mm -hmm. you know, it is, um, he speaks, I listen. He teaches, I learn. Uh, it's not just student, teacher, speaker, listener, because we're all like Moshe in this sense. Now, Yahweh taught Moshe, and with Moshe, he lived the Torah. But you know, the most cited book in the Torah, the most interesting book of the Torah, is the Barim, Deuteronomy. That's Moshe speaking throughout mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and so it's God saying, you know, I like communicating directly to you, but I've recognized that if my message is conveyed through a really bright and articulate man that gets it, that knows me, that loves me, that trusts me, that it will resonate more effectively within other individuals. And... That is precisely what's happening here. 
God knows that when he communicates through us, we are more effective together than we are independently. That's the whole idea of, you know, it's not six minus one. It's six plus one. Mm -hmm. Man, in addition to God, is what is so marvelous, synergistic. And, And so we listen and then we teach. We listen and then we speak. We, the student becomes teacher. The listener becomes speaker. That's what happened with Moshe. And you know, one of the things I, I constantly reminded of is that when Yahweh tells us about something he did on behalf of Moshe or Yosha or Dod, do you think he's telling us those things, that those things were put in writing for Moshe's, Yosha's, or Dode's benefit? Hardly. Hardly. They Hardly. lived it. They don't need to read it. They lived it. They knew Noach, it. same yeah. thing. Shamuel, same thing. All of these stories were told for our benefit because what Yahweh did with Moshe, he affirms that he does exactly the same thing with Yosha. And he tells us that because he'll do the same thing with us. And so that's what this is all about, that when we listen to Yahweh as Moshe did, as Yosha did, as, and I mean Yosha ben Nun, as um, Dod did, listen intently, thinking comprehensively, we then can speak profusely. But we're not speaking, yabbering on to God. Now, I've, I've, you know, God loves artistry. You, you might be, get God's attention, but I'm going to tell you, there, there is nothing that I have learned that's really going to impress God. Nothing. I mean, I'm, I'm a sponge. I, I absorb and then I squeeze it out to, to share. So I can speak profusely of what Yahweh has instructed, what he has directed, what he has taught, what he has guided to humans that don't yet know it that well, that are still unaware of it. And so we speak profusely, but not at God. We're not praying to God. We're listening to God and then speaking to our fellow man. Yahweh knows what you and I need. He knows what we're thinking. It may sound like this is a one-sided relationship, but it's not. I'm going to tell you, I get much more out of it than he does. And I think it is a one-sided. It's just in our favor. Yeah, it it is one-sided in our favor. I actually, I'm not even sure it is. Oh no, it's participatory. Yeah, it's participatory. God gets a lot out of it. Yeah. He really does. I think he, when we figure something out, when we share it, when we we uh, exude his passion for his people, yeah, I, I I think he gets a lot out of it. So when we come upon something in his word that he wrote, knowing that we'd find it and then share it, I can tell you it makes God very happy, and he deserves to be happy. Perhaps one day that will change. Perhaps we're 
once we're further enlightened and empowered and we're living with Yahweh in the seventh dimension and we go out and find something on a planet or do something out there, we may have something. And let me share this with you. I think you're going to, you're going to, going to expand what you know. You know, there may be that opportunity. I kind of hope there is. I think, and I can tell you that when my sons tell me something that I did not know and I'm learning for them, I don't cool. look at yeah. that as, as bad. I look at it as wonderful. Right? I think Yahweh would yeah. too. So why would he want to be deprived of that? <clears throat> it isn't that we don't have something to contribute or that we have nothing to say. And In fact, quite the opposite is true. It's just that our relationship is enriched and empowered when we are good listeners because he is a very good talker and teacher. And there is so much to share, so much God's people need to know, and so little time, it's prudent for us to be very effective listeners so that we can speak accurately and intelligently about Yah. Now, I've shared this before, but it rings true, especially at this moment. To a very significant degree, um, we all have, and I can speak definitely of me, have this job by default. The chosen people refuse to listen. Yisrael and Yahudah turned their backs on Yahweh. They rejected his gift, his words that he conveyed in his Torah and through his prophets. Even now, the words Yahweh's spirit has enabled us to scribe fall on deaf ears and hardened hearts over the vast preponderance of Israelites. But one of the most telling distinctions between someone conveying the revelation of Yahweh and a false prophet is the means of conveyance. An actual prophet writes things down that Yahweh is revealing while he is listening to God speak to him. While a false prophet such as Paul, Luke, Mark, Matthew, Akiba, and Muhammad recounts what they have heard or what they have conveyed audibly, as such it becomes their message and not Yahweh's message. Now it's true, you know, once a week on the approach of the Shabbat, uh, we all get together and we speak about the Torah. But even then, we're sharing these written translations and associated insights. Our message, like that of the prophets, is also in writing. We're not doing video clips on this. I know that there, there are video clips that have the audio track and, and, uh, and, and they have the written word, but it's the written word that Yahweh likes to use to communicate. It's much more effective. That way you can learn at your own pace. The translations are more easily verified. The message is more broadly disseminated. And it will endure long after we're gone. Moreover, I like the distinction of having our comments and our insights shared as we're doing in a regular font while Yahweh's words stand apart because Throughout yada yada, well, they're written in bold, and you know I'm pretty pleased to see that 
20 years after beginning this series and coming up with the name Yada Yahweh, mm-hmm. that uh, Yahweh specifically references as it relates to the two witnesses and the scroll that he is lifting up for the world to see. And he refers to it as Yada Yahweh. Amazing. Either either we wow. we chose wisely, which is possible, or uh, God says, "I think, uh, hey, uh, this would be a good name." What do you think about this name? Little little whisper. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's a coincidence. You just got lucky. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's good uh, to be lucky. It's good to be lu- better to be inspired with uh, Yahweh's spirit. Yes. Yeah. Uh, thus. Thus says Yahweh, I will return and restore Zion, the signs posted along the way, and I will live and remain in the midst of Jerusalem. Then the source of guidance on reconciliation shall be called the reliable and trustworthy city, and the mountain of Yahweh of the spiritual messengers, the set-apart mountain. Thus says Yahweh of the spiritual messengers, Behold, I myself will save my people from the country toward the sunrise and from the region entering from the direction of the setting of the sun. Pretty clear. Pretty clear. So is there going to be a second coming of the, uh, of the Passover lamb of uh, the Christian uh, Jesus? Mm, no, no, no better, yeah. Yeah, Yahweh yeah. says, I will return. Who is restoring Yisrael? I will Yahweh. restore Shuba. How is he doing this? Through Zion, the signs posted along the way. If you don't like Zionists, you are anti-Yahweh. And he says, then I will live and That's remain good. in the midst of mm-hmm. Jerusalem. So if you think that uh, that America is that bright shining light on the hill and that America has replaced Israel like Hagee and so many others profess, no, not so. You think that the Roman Catholic Church is the epicenter of God's will? He ain't coming back to Rome or the Vatican. Come back to Jerusalem. If you think as the world just did. The world voted, and I think there was like 19 countries that voted sanely. 119 that voted insanely. The rest uh, just were wussies and abstained. Saying that the Temple Mount was, uh, was not the Temple Mount. That the Temple Mount had no connection at all with the Jewish people. It was strictly an Islamic holy site, and only an Islamic holy site. United Nations. Imagine 119 countries being that belligerently stupid. The only reason there's an association of Muslims in the Temple Mount is because of Muhammad's idiocy where he claimed to ride a flying ass from Mecca where he, at 53 years old, was sleeping with a nine-year-old girl. And where 
he had just suffered the embarrassment of the satanic verses where he acknowledged he, he was inspired by Satan. And he needed to get out of Dodge because he had stated publicly in the Quran that uh, there were three goddesses in addition to Allah making a mockery of his new monotheistic religion. And so he, he flew on the winged ass to Jerusalem to have meetings with the Jewish big shots in the temple, which had been destroyed hundreds of years before his really, flight. It's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. If Muhammad so, is right and that was where the temple was, then that has relation to Judaism. If Muhammad's yeah. wrong, then it doesn't matter if Muhammad's wrong. It has no relation to Islam. So if it's related and, to Islam, by definition, it would have to be related to Judaism. Or not to uh, Judaism, but to Yehuda, at least. And so what do you, what do you think about the, uh, um, our claim to Jerusalem is because Muhammad flew in the middle of the night out of a bed with a nine-year-old girl on a winged ass? Yeah, or that when he got there, that on the way to Allah's heaven, the first stop was hell, and it was filled with women hanging from meat hooks put through their breasts. That is your claim to Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. It's nothing but a total and complete embarrassment to Islam. The dome of the hoofy print, the dome of the rock where the flying ass with the ass uh, aboard leapt up to heaven, (coughs) stopping in hell along the way, is a trophy. It's just like they took the largest Christian cathedral in the world in Constantinople and turned it into a mosque. It's a trophy. It's an embarrassment. And to say that that piece of crap that has been built on top of the Temple Mount that has, prior to them doing it, 1,600 years of history and actually 2,600 years if you take it all the way back to Abraham, Abraham. and Enoch being there. Mm-hmm. And to claim that it's anything other than the place of Yahweh's residence is to be stupid beyond belief. And yet that's where we are in this world. That's the reason why when Yahweh returns, he's going to wipe out all of these morons. They aren't worth the air that they're contaminating with their breath. We'll deal with global warming. We'll reduce the carbon footprint. Take them all out. So the source of guidance, the reliable the source of guidance on reconciliation will be called reliable and trustworthy, which is the Torah and the mountain of Yahweh, of the spiritual messengers, the set-apart mountain, the Har Kodesh. There's going to be no confusion as to who is associated with the Temple Mount. Mm-hmm. Dod, Yisrael, Yahudem, Yahweh, His Torah, Zion, 
Moriah. You know, it is Mount Moriah, after all, that it's on the top of. And that does mean revere Yah. Mm -hmm. It's not uh, more Allah. Thus says Yahweh of the spiritual messengers, Behold, I myself will save my people. After all of this time, I personally will deliver and liberate and rescue my people. Who are his people? Israelites. Yehudim. Hasn't changed. From the country toward the sunrise, or that would be the sun rise would be in the far west Mm -hmm. in the United States, who's... uh, Boy, under Biden administration has been, Israel's been treated so poorly. And from the region entering from the direction of the setting sun, that would be the Islamic world. And uh, perhaps even China towards the, uh, the end. So let it be known. Mm-hmm. Rabbinic Judaism has no plan or hope of salvation. There is none. You can read rabbinic sources until you're blue in the face. And the one thing you won't find is an explanation of salvation. Laid out in the Torah, but they don't know it. They also think that there's no hell, even though Yahweh says, oh yeah, it's called Sheol. Yahweh, nonetheless, is going to save Yehudim. At least those who are free of rabbinical and political influences. Let it be known that Yahweh is returning to restore Zion, and he will remain in Jerusalem. The city will instantly become the least contested and least religious place on earth. By this declaration, God is returning to his people, Yisrael and Yahudah, and not for a foreign church. Let it be known, Yahweh is returning. You can kiss your Lord, your Hashem, your Jesus, and your Allah goodbye. That is if you haven't already been dissolved and turned to goo. Yahweh, at the exclusion of all others, saves. Let it be known. Yasha means to deliver from harm's way, to liberate and to free. Yahweh is saving his people from all of the other people, and thus from the religious, the political, and the militaristic. Let it be known. Jerusalem's renown as Emeth Ir means that nothing Yahweh has said has changed. The only way for it to be reliable is for Yahweh's promises to have been trustworthy and dependable. That being so, the claims of the Talmud and New Testament are negated. Let it be known. The signs posted along the way up the ridgeline of Zion lead from Dode's home to Yahweh's royal residence on the (coughs) summit of Har Moriah, the mount to revere Yah. The fact is, that it is Kodesh set apart. It is special and not common, separated and thus not allied. It will therefore be the opposite of what is common among men. 
it's going to be the opposite of religious, the opposite of political, the opposite of materialistic, militaristic, patriotic, or conspiratorial. The things that are common among man will not exist there because it is set apart. At this moment in time, the land, region, or country to the east, the the uh, rising sun, is China. Mm-hmm. By this time, we would expect that Islam's attempted siege of Yisrael has already been thwarted by God. The men Eretz, Mabo, Ha, Shemeth is a bit of a head-scratcher due to the nature of Mabo. You know, Mabo is actually means, and we're going to continue to broadcast, we'll finish maybe this uh, statement, oh, and, and, uh, mm-hmm. and then we'll, we'll uh, resume uh, next week. I promise next week I okay. will start at the... Uh, uh, such that we're an hour into the program before we return to where we began. But <laughs> I thought it was uh, worthwhile. Well, so but for the it. life of me, I read the first statement where we began today, and I said, "You can't start here. It's so out of context." And we and we made uh, so many suggestions last week about what was that scroll that was being lifted up, and here it is mm-hmm. being explained. We really need to go back and present this in context because this is essential for Yahweh's people to know. It's an essential component of making Yom Kippurim everything that Yahweh wants it to be. So, turning here to Mabo. Mabo means entrance. So, being that case, the sun enters each new day from the east, not the west. Therefore, the second clause would be reinforced, uh, would just be reinforcing the previous one, and therefore would read, Behold, I myself will liberate and deliver my people from the country toward the sunrise east, and therefore from the region of the emerging sun, which would be east. Mabo Mm -hmm. is a compound. It's from ma, which means to ponder uh, um, the meaning of something. And bo. Bo doesn't mean goodbye. It means to come, to arrive, Mm -hmm. to return, uh, to be included. All of those things speak of, of coming, entering, emerging. So it seems to say... East and East. Now, we turn to uh, the book of Joshua, Yosha, opening chapter. And uh, Yahweh goes through this presentation of how there will be a voice emerging from the sea, uh, uh, which is symbolic of a goy, uh, mm-hmm. that's going to speak to uh, the uh, the people. And he uses... Uh, Mabo and Yom, sea, and Mabo and uh, Shemesh, sun. And so it's rendered setting sun in, um, in every English Bible. But how is it the setting sun if it's Mabo? You know, Mabo means coming. It's the primary yeah. meaning. That's to be the rising sun. 
Yeah. Now, in that some, particular some case, in particular case, he's not talking about the sun at all. He's he's talking about the return mm-hmm. of the source of light and the return of the brilliant one. The return of the source of light is Yahweh, and the return of the brilliant one is Dod. When he is speaking of Mabo Shemesh, and so. Um, could well be what he is speaking of here because it's again Mabo Shemesh the return of the source of light the return of the brilliant one but if it's just talking about east then it would be China and if not uh, Mabo is rendered uh, going or leaving but eh, there's a uh, bow is it's a real stretch to make it leave then the belligerent uh, will be attacking from the sea however with Mabo actually meaning to question the arrival of or the coming and going of the Sun there's a host of other possibilities you know the earth climate will surely have changed as a result of natural and human activity including a world war which will include a nuclear exchange and therefore a nuclear winter uh, that'll stop global warming yeah. with the sun and moon no longer visible and with the arrival of Yahweh's light this could mean a number of things so we'll just wait and see and and then Yashaya uh, or Yosha I should say Joshua 1 it's speaking of the return of the source of light and of the brilliant one so <laughs> even in the Mizmor Yahweh speaks of Dode returning as brilliant as the sun so speaking of the chosen people and thereby obliterating the foundational claims of Christianity of, and of Islam, which both claim to have replaced Jews, and of course there's no purpose for either religion unless they can validate the claim that Goyim, the Goyim church and the religion has replaced Yehudim and Yisrael, uh, both uh, or that Arabs have. Without that claim, the religions have no basis. And I will come to them and bring them to live and abide in the midst of Jerusalem, the source of guidance on reconciliation and restoration. And they will be my people, becoming my family. And I myself will be their God in honesty and integrity and by being right. And thus Yahweh of the spiritual messengers says, let your hands be enabled and strong, those who are listening during these days to the words communicated by the prophets, those who have walked along the correct path to get the most benefit out of the relationship can establish and lay the foundation during that time for the house and family, the bayat of Yahweh of the spiritual messengers so that that residence and temple will be built. Well, the temple of Yahweh was constructed by Jews. Am, Yah's people, are Jews. When Yah speaks of the words communicated by the prophets, they were all Jews. When Yah speaks of the correct path to receive the benefits out of life, and of the foundation that he laid, that is in the Torah. 
which was conveyed through Moshe, who was a Jew. Yahweh's returning to his family. Yahweh's returning to Israel, which Yahweh gave to his people. There's no question about any of this. You read it in the Torah, you read it in the prophets, you read it in the only text that can use prophecy to prove that it was inspired by God. And that's what God promises. And this is what he is affirming now through his prophet, Zachariah, who was also a Israelite, that he's going to do. He's not coming to a church. He's not coming to the Kaaba. He's uh, not coming to a seat of enlightenment someplace. And I will return to them and bring them to live and abide in the midst of Jerusalem. And they will be my people. Ah, and they will be my family. For I myself will be their God. Yahweh only speaks of himself being the God of Abraham, Yishak, and Jacob. And that he is the God of Yisrael. If you don't like that, you won't much like him. That's who he identifies with. Those are his people. That is who he is calling home. We're fortunate as Goyim. Mm -hmm. We can identify with Yisrael, camp out with Yisrael, celebrate what it means to be Yisrael, capitalize on Yahweh's Torah teaching, accept the terms and conditions of the covenant, and be part of God's family. We have that opportunity. And right now, we're playing a tremendous role because we're awakening the chosen people. But let us never forget that God made a promise to them and he's going to honor it. And he is returning to them and their city because they are his family. And God is first and foremost honest and right. So, fellas, uh, um, mm-hmm. This is where uh, where Zachariah has brought us. He has brought us to the return of Yahweh, which is taking place on the day of reconciliation, where he is coming back to Jerusalem. It is the greatest day in the history of creation from Yahweh's perspective. JB, in a different subject, I saw in the chat room that uh, you've uh, you've got a change of kind of working scenarios. You're thinking about uh, making a uh, a move, and um, that uh, life is a little different. Yep, we've been talking for a while, and then something came up at work, so uh, out of a job right now. Looking, so trying to find a work from home type job, which will help us with you know transitioning and moving up closer okay. to some family in uh, the St. Paul area. Okay. All right. Uh, I hope that was. That's why I've been uh, out the last few weeks. I was having to switch over internet and phone because both of those were work related before. Okay. Well, I hope it was a uh, either mutual or or that it was uh, uh, your impetus to uh, to do so and and that this is a new and positive opportunity for you. Yeah, we're making the best of it. Okay. Yeah. All right. 
uh, let us know if there's anything we can do to uh, to help. Yeah. And uh, we certainly wish you all the best as you uh, you find a new opportunity. Fortunately, you are an expert in something that is vitally needed. You understand how it integrates with uh, education and and the importance of uh, technology and young people's lives to give them access to information. And, um, and without it uh, today, it's pretty uh, pretty tough to uh, to be an effective student. Yeah. So you are an expert at something that is vast, uh, desperately needed by people, and particularly of the age group that you have uh, served. So I, uh, I wish you all the best to, to uh, be um, gainfully employed and re- relocated in support of your family. Oh. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, Kirk, yeah. I wish you the best with uh, Terry. I know she's uh, continuing to struggle on. Um, life is uh, is difficult, um, and that uh, you've got some meetings coming up here shortly where you'll have the opportunity to to discuss what uh, her options are. And we wish Terry all the best, and that uh, that yeah. <laughs> um, that she lives through this uh, trans transition in her life as uh, as positively as uh, as is possible so may god bless uh, you and and uh, and yours both of your uh, your families as uh, as you go forward uh, through these uh, weeks and months so may god bless thank you, thank you fellas for joining me we'll look forward mm-hmm. to being with y'all next week we'll continue <clears throat> zachariah's presentation of the day of reconciliation shabbat shalom everybody good evening shabbat shalom, shabbat shalom. Good night. Good night. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.